Amen. Don't you love it when there's songs with good theology in them? I love it. I love this song, you know, when life brings me trouble and misery, God is so good to me. I got to remember that God is so good to me. And, and really, that's good theology because God has blessed us in the heavenly realms. No matter what is happening down here, we are blessed. And, you know, over and over, recently I've been just thinking of how blessed I am and I can't believe all the the things that God has done for me. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that on Thanksgiving Sunday, I think. God is so good. We'll, we'll get, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but we'll talk about something that day. And I'm sure I'll be talking about how good God is and how he blesses us. Let's pray and ask God to bless his word so that it would be applied to our hearts. Father, we come to your word with awe and reverence. And we, and, but also expectation. Lord, we long to hear your voice. We long for your voice to speak into our life so that we might live for you in a, a fresh way. Lord, your, your word says that your word washes us. We pray, Lord, that you would wash us today. Get rid of the bad and replace it with the good. Make us holy through the hearing of your word and the obedience to your word. I pray that you would anoint me that I might speak your words in power and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, on Friday, someone came into my office. Uh, she's here in the room, so I won't point her out. But she came into my office with a, a very unusual request. And um, she started by telling me how her car had died. And it, she had a car just like mine, a cobalt, a black cobalt. And, and the transmission on it had just conked out. And she was so grateful that she didn't actually pull onto the freeway and then have it conk out there. But... It kind of happened in the middle of town. And she went on to explain how she had numerous fender benders. And I was like, why are you telling me all this? What, what, where is this going? Like, I've, I've never had a counseling session about a car before. You know? And I was wondering where it was going. And then she said, then, then I realized why she was in my office. She said, can you come out and bless my car? <laughs> Isn't that great? She had, had, you know, a transmission failure, four fender benders that weren't her fault. And she's just like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I just want God to bless my car. <laughs> I love it. You know? And, you know, people have asked me to bless their homes, to bless their cats, to bless their dogs, to bless their minds, to bless their kids, to bless their uh, everything. You know, they just want God's blessing. And I love to do that. You know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And so here's someone saying, I want God's blessing. So, yeah, let's give it. Uh, But here's the deal. A prayer for blessing can only go so far. It can only do so much. Because really, God's blessing is on his children's life for two reasons. One, because they're his kids. God loves his kids. And he blesses their life just because they're his kids. And because Christ has cleansed them and made them holy and made them acceptable to God. And so God loves to bless his children. But there's another reason that God blesses his children. And that's if we ask for it. If we ask for him to bless us. Um, Now, the thing is, it still only can do so much. Because if your life isn't being lived for Christ the blessing will fall flat. It will return to the giver. 
And the, bless, the blessing won't actually go out from the one who's blessing. There's no amount of blessing, crossing yourself, sprinkling yourself with holy water, going to church, reading your Bible, taking communion, uh, praying, uh, getting your pastor to bless you will make you bless if you're living in rebellion against God. It's just not going to work. There are hundreds of passages in the Bible about blessing, and they're kind of summed up with with the first verses of the Psalms, which says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. I'm getting a little choked up because this is my father-in-law's favorite verse and he lived this verse with power. What a great man. Again, the the opening verses of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. You know, this is kind of summarizing all of like hundreds of passages that God will bless his people. But there's a catch. He blesses us when we don't walk in the way of sinners, when we don't sit with the scornful, when we study his word. But let me ask you, this whole being blameless thing, walking according to the law of the Lord, keeping his statutes, seeking him with all your heart, is that kind of tough? Is that a tall order? Yeah, that's a little tough sometimes. That's a tall order. In fact, it's nigh impossible to do that. Praise God that Christ has done it for us. But you know, sometimes people think that because Christ has done it for us, that can give us a shortcut to blessing. That it doesn't, we don't really have to, you know, these are all Old Testament blessing passages. We don't really have to uh, be blameless, walk according to God's ways. We don't really have to do all that. Christ has done all that for us, so we're free to do whatever we want. And they want to live their life apart from God, but still do the religious thing so they can get blessed. But really, that's a mockery of Christianity. I don't know if you've noticed, but m- movies are full of this kind of nonsense all the time. I mean, it's kind of like they give lip service to God but there's nothing in the heart. I mean, almost every, Fast and the Furious, do you think I've watched the movie franchise? Yeah, probably. I love fast cars. So I watch all these crazy movies. They're kind of crazy. But in almost all of them, Vin Diesel, a.k.a. Dom, what does he do at the end? When the family's all together. Yeah, you haven't watched the movie. Yeah, they pray around the table. And you're like, okay, you just created major mayhem. You drove with reckless abandon. You killed people. You committed adultery. You're, you know, on and on and on. And, oh, yeah, we're going to say grace. It's like, oh, well, we're going to, you know. And at first when I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I thought, that's completely the wrong message. You know, we can basically live however we want. And then, oh, we're just going to ask God's blessing here. And, you know, the same thing. Uh, with a lot of movies, the drug dealers, the, the kingpins, uh, the uh, gangsters, you know, they, they all have got crosses around their neck. You see them crossing themselves. You see them kneeling in church. And you're like, then they go off and murder and commit adultery. And, and you're like, what? Rob, rob banks? And you're like, 
this doesn't make any sense. It's absolutely ludicrous. And you know what? This message, though, is out there. It doesn't matter how your life is lived. Just do the religious thing to get God's blessing. It doesn't work, folks. It doesn't work. You can't live your life that way. God is not mocked, the Bible says. Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. It's, it's part of... And most, most evangelicals don't hold to this nonsense. Um, but sometimes we can subtly accept this idea that when, particularly when we overemphasize grace, grace is real. God doesn't owe us anything, and His grace in our life is unmerited favor. Um, but if we underemphasize the transforming power of grace, then we're in trouble. Because grace that doesn't change us into grace filled people is not grace at all. As, as uh, James says, works with, or, or faith without works is dead. If our faith and our belief in Christ doesn't change us, doesn't cause us to do good works, there's something wrong. We probably haven't actually invited the Lord of all the earth to be our Lord and have him dwelling in us. It seems the Israelites had a similar issue going on in Haggai's day. We've been studying Haggai, and in Haggai we read, this is what the Lord Almighty says. This is Haggai 2.11, if you're following in your Bibles. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew or some wine or olive oil or some other food, does it become consecrated? And the priests go, no. Of course not. Then Haggai says, Now if a person defiled by contact with a dead person touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest says, it becomes defiled. Now these are not complicated questions for the people living back in those days. In fact, one of the little children in the Israelite family could have answered exactly the same way that the priests answered. They, they knew this stuff. For us, it's a little bit... Uh, it's a little bit out there. We're not quite sure. It's a little bit out of our culture, really. Uh, but it was totally part of their culture. Um, Haggai's referring to the Levitical code uh, that they were very familiar with. Now, for us, we get to the book of Levi, Leviticus, I mean, and what do we do? Well, in our family, it's like uh, we read a couple of verses and we skip a whole bunch and read a few more verses. Skip. We just kind of zip through it. Because it just feels like, oh, a bunch of legalism that really doesn't apply to us. It's all about code of ethics and code of sacraments and, and you know, the priests having the right kind of clothing and, and doing things all as... But for the Levites, who are now building the house of the Lord, this is their service manual. They were reading this thing carefully trying to follow its, follow its ways. And so they knew it backwards and forwards. So when Haggai asked them this question, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, of course, when you take consecrated meat in your, in your garment and you touch something uh, unconsecrated, it doesn't make it holy. Um, and, they, and of course, when you uh, touch a dead body and you become unholy, if you touch someone else or something else, it becomes unholy. Of course. 
and, and it makes it now let's let's put this in the modern vernacular just for a second okay let's say you are a doctor and you know how to wash your hands because you do surgery and so you are you've just prepped for surgery and you have washed your hands immaculately i mean you've sanitized them they are clean and you come over to visit me just before you go into the hospital and i've been digging manure all day and I don't have gloves on, and I've been cleaning out the barn. And you come over and you give me a big handshake. So what happens, right? That holiness, that cleanliness that the doctor has in his hands, it's transferred to my hands, and now I'm clean, clean right? <laughs> no, of course not. We know this, right? It's the opposite. I make his hands dirty, right? And, and that's, that's basically what this is all about. But it's a spiritual lesson that's being taught here. Um, And what was he using this to illustrate? To get the people to take a fresh look at themselves. This is what the next verse says. He says in in 2 verse 14, Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, says the Lord. Whatever they do, whatever they offer there is defiled. God was basically saying, you know, the, the, the Israelites were thinking that their religiosity, their going to the temple, doing the sacrifices, all that stuff, was making them holy before God. And God was saying, no, 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 no. It's not the sacrifice. It's not all this religious stuff that you're doing that makes you holy. It's the unreligious stuff that you, this, and the stuff that you're not doing, the, the fact that you're not interested in building my house, that you haven't put me first, Actually, that's what makes you defiled. And guess what? If you're defiled, then all that sacrifice and all that service that you're doing in my temple, that's all defiled too. So the very thing that they thought was bringing them closer to God, God is saying, no, 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 that's, that's all defiled. Because you're defiled. You're defiled. And the contemporary prophet to to, uh, Haggai was Malachi. And he says this, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light these useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. When our heart is in the wrong place, there's major trouble. And it doesn't matter how much religiosity we have going on. No matter how much church going, no matter how much we cross ourselves and pay penance and, and pray and do all those things, if our heart is far from God, it's just a show. It's just a bunch of sacraments that you're doing that don't have any meaning. In fact, the very show of them, the very sacraments themselves have been tainted by your darkened heart. Whew, what a message. See, if you flip back to Ezra, you find out what's actually been going on. I'm going to just read Ezra chapter 3, starting from verse 2 for a few minutes. Then Joshua, son of Zodak, and his fellow priests, and, the, and Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of God. So this is after they came out of captivity. They're back in the land. The temple's not been built. They haven't started laying the foundations yet. And they rebuild the altar. 
of of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it and in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite the fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. Sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, In verse 4, Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles uh, with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. It sounds good. And after that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, the sacrifices for all the appointed appointed sacred festivals to the Lord, as well as those... uh, as well as those brought as free offerings to the Lord. And on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. In other words, the religious part of the, the Israelites' worship had been kicked into gear. But we find out, after 16 years of this, the people were just doing it by rote. Do you notice how many times it says this? It was in accordance with what was written? Well, three times in this passage. They're doing it because it was written. They're doing it because they had to. That's what God said, so that's why I'm going to do it. But there's something wrong with their hearts. And God was saying, you've put your houses and your paneled houses ahead of my house. And that shows me your heart. Your heart is really selfish. And you may bring sacrifices. And if you look through the book of Malachi, they were bringing lame lambs and blind lambs and and the leftovers from their flock to give sacrifices to God. And God's just like, your heart, you're doing the religiosity thing, but your heart is far from me. You're not really paying attention. For 16 years, it was just a, a ceremony, something they did, but it didn't affect their hearts. What about us? What about you? Is there ceremonies that you do? I have to admit, sometimes my morning devotionals, it's just a ceremony. My heart is not in it. A lot of times, in the middle of it, God yanks on my chain and goes, pay attention, you know. I'm like, whoa, yeah, whoa, this is good. You know, and he wakes me up. But a lot of times going into it, I have to admit, My heart's not really in it. I'm doing it out of rote. I'm doing it out of responsibility. I'm doing it for a lot of the wrong reasons. And, and you know, God's not impressed. Luckily, he does discipline us. He does yank our chains sometimes. Sometimes he speaks to us in spite of our lackadaisical attitude, in spite of how uh, off we are. Praise God. Don't you love a heavenly father who loves us no matter what? Amen. Amen. But if it just keeps happening, and if it's just a bunch of religiosity, eventually God's going to go, come on, just stop. Just stop. Forget it. This is not what you need to do. They thought, the Israelites thought these things were making them pure. But what Haggai is saying is actually your impurity is making these things impure. That's the message that Haggai was pointing out. And then notice the next verse. Now give careful thought to to this. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another. Um, Love this verse. Notice 
this idea of giving careful thought. It's a major theme in the book of Haggai. Um, and God is saying, pay attention. Look in, look in verse, chapter 1, verse 15. It says, uh, give careful thought to your ways. Chapter 1, verse 7, give careful thought to your ways. Here in chapter 2, verse 15, give careful thought to this. Again in 2, verse 18, give careful thought. What's God saying? Listen up, folks. Pay attention here. There's something happening, and, and if, you're not, if you're asleep, you're going to miss it. It's going to go right by, and you aren't going to notice it. But if you pay attention, you will notice something wild going on here. And he challenges them. And if you look at all of these listen-up things, all this get paid special attention, all of them are about the evidence of blessing or cursing in their life. That's what all of these are about. Pay attention. Is God blessing you or are you under his curse? What is it in your life? And, you know, most, my, most of my life I've experienced God's wonderful, wonderful blessing. So I'm telling you, it comes as quite a shock when he pulls that off. <laughs> and you're like, what is going on? And so we need to pay attention. A lot of times we just kind of sweep away circumstances in our life. Oh, that was an unfortunate happenstance, wasn't it? That was bad luck. Or, oh, I had a really good day. And we pay no attention that maybe God is in these events in our life. God says he disciplines those he loves. God blesses those who are obedient. It's not just cosmic happenstance. It isn't. But we have to pay attention. Providence is real. And we need to pay attention to providence. That's what he's really saying here. He says, listen up. Look at your life. When things are going bad, maybe you should ask the question, Lord, is this your hand of discipline on me? And when things are going good, maybe you should give thanks and praise him for his blessing. And I'm not saying that every bad thing that ever happened to anybody is God's discipline. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. We live in a fallen world. There are evil things all around us that happen. But when they start sort of becoming a pattern, you might want to pay attention. It might be your Heavenly Father disciplining you. And so what are we supposed to give our attention to? Well, in, in, in verse 15, it says, from, from this day on, or give careful thought to from this day on. Interesting. Something's going to happen. There's a prophecy that's about to be fulfilled, and they need to pay attention or they're going to miss it. Um, and we're going to get to that in a minute because it, it, it's interesting. He brings up this uh, from this day on here. And then a few verses later, he says, from this day on. And then finally, about four verses later, he finally gets to the point of saying, what is actually going to happen? Uh, what, what's about to happen on the, from this day on? And so we're going to get to it in a minute. And I'm going to talk about the stuff that he talks about in the meantime. <laughs> it's like he's holding us in, in suspense from this day on. And then, oh, but by the way, we have to look at something else first. And so he backs up. He says, consider how things were before one stone was laid on the other in the Lord's temple. So that, now he's, he's backing up to before they started. Now, they've been three months at building. And so now he's backing. You remember what it was like? Before you started building the temple, what was it like? Um, 
Now, I want, to, I want you to notice in the NIV, it has this little uh, B behind the, uh, from this day on. Because there's, and if you look down in the, in, the, um, in the bottom of the page, you'll see another way of translating this. And it says, next slide. Now give careful thought to the days past. So that's another way of t- translating, not just the future, but the days past. So we're not quite sure whether, but, but it's the same sentence as, as it is later on where it's obviously about the future. So I think I like the other interpretation better. But this could be that they need to look back. And sometimes before you can look forward to what is going to happen, you have to look back at what already happened. Um, the pa- Paul, Apostle Paul is like that. You know, he says, I'm pressing on towards the high calling of God, and I don't look back, and I consider all these things as rubbish, and I'm pushing on. But did you notice the, the verses before that? He's talking all about the past. <laughs> you know, he's talking about all the things that he used to be like. So, yeah, he, he's forgetting them, but he doesn't, he, he sort of remembers them. And I think it's important as Christians that we remember where we came from, that we remember where God has saved us from, and the blessings that he has given us in his life. He saved us. He, he's, he purchased us with his own blood. These are things that happened in the past. They're not the things that are going to happen in the future. So basically he's saying, remember before you started building the temple, what were things like? And then he kind of goes through it real briefly. When everyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. And when anyone went to the vine, wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all of the works of your hands with blight, mildew, hail, and you did not return to me, says, declares the Lord. Pay attention. Remember, he said, pay attention. Look back and look, you weren't blessed. You were actually cursed. I actually caused blight, mildew, and hail to fall on you, ruining your crops. Think about it. Pay pay careful attention to your circumstances. Why? Because their heart was in the wrong. They had all the religious ornamentation around their life. All the religious stuff was there. But their heart was far from God. Their heart was on their own little kingdom and not on God's kingdom. What about you? You doing all the churchy stuff? Does it look good on the outside? You know, your parents impressed? Oh, I went to church this week. I went to youth group too. But where's your heart? You know... A lot of times we think that church is going to clean us up. You know, I, talk, I talked about the fact that the reading God's word will, is like washing. And we get this impression that if I just, you know, do all these right little details, you know, I pray before my meal, I uh, go to church, I uh, get, the, get the pastor to bless my car, you know, then everything's going to be good. <laughs> don't, don't mean to pick on this lady. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but... Um, you know, those things aren't what clean us. Those things aren't what make us holy. Those things do not guarantee a blessing. Cleanliness comes from within. Jesus said it's not what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's not what goes into a person, sorry, it's not what goes into us that defiles us, but what comes out of the heart. That's what defiles us. 
We're trying to do the work as a way to make us clean? Or are you doing the work out of a clean heart? Listen carefully. God doesn't want you to do religious things to clean you up. God wants to clean you up so you can do religious things. Can I say that again? God doesn't want you to do religious things to clean you up. God wants to clean you up so you can do religious things. In other words, Jesus came and died on a cross to wash us, cleanse us, make us whole. It's not by faith, or it's by faith you've been saved, not of works. It's not by doing some religious duty that we get saved. But what does the next verse say? Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. What's that? Um, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. Not of works. Um, but God has prepared good works for us to do. Yes, okay, so something like that. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> it's somewhere in my notes. God has prepared ahead of time good works for us to do. So we're saved to do good works, but good works don't save us. It's really, really clear in the Bible. God wants us to do these things. God wants us to go to church. God wants us to pray. God wants us to get baptized. God wants us to take communion. But these things don't save us. Belief in Jesus Christ, that's what saves us, and that's what prepares us and makes us ready to do these things. Otherwise, when we do these things, what does the Bible say when you, when you partake of communion without believing, without faith in the Lord? He says, you drink damnation unto yourself. Why? Because you're taking a defiled vessel and you're defiling the Lord's table. So the religious things we do don't, change, don't make us into holy people. It's the holy people that God makes us into that allows us to do these, right, these, uh, these religious things. We need a heart transplant. The Bible says, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor... Thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Ooh, that's a long list. But this is where the catch is. That is what some of you were. You were that. But you were, were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. That all happened in the past when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In Haggai, the Lord is telling the remembered to remember that the sorry the remnant to remember how things were before He called them. Do you remember how you were before God called you? You were a sinner. You were condemned to, to die. You were far from God. God didn't want to have anything to do with you. And then he rescued you from that place. Remember the frustration, the futility? Remember what it felt like to be lost? Remember that he's called us 
to care for those people who were at once like us. All that list. That's the list of the people that God says, I care for them. I love them. And I've asked you to go reach them. And if you want to show that in fact you are born again, then in fact you are washed, that you are cleansed, that you are, then, then do what I've been calling you to do. Take up your cross and follow me. Get busy with my kingdom. Put my priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. What, what things? Food, clothing, shelter, all that stuff we tend to worry about, all those blessings that maybe we take for granted sometimes as Christians, but all that stuff, God's going to add that to you if you keep your focus on the kingdom of God. And you focus there, he'll pick up the slack. Look, um, oh, here it is. <laughs> I knew it was in my notes. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. Awesome verse. It really is. Um, now look at verse 18 to 19 in uh, Haggai 2. From this day on, see, he's repeating himself. From this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord, the temple was laid. Give careful thought. Um, it almost sounds like he's repeating himself, but he's not. Notice that from this day on, the 24th day of the ninth month, this was three months after they started building the temple. The temple was, they're working on it. And now three months later, Look what it says. Give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn? Probably the implication is no, not really. Until now, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not borne fruit. In other words, they've been laboring on the temple for three months. And God said that, that you know, all this blight and hail and stuff was because they weren't doing his will. Now it's three months later. And Haggai says, so has anything changed? And the people are like, no, not really. Where's this blessing God promised? Like, what's going on? Something was going to happen. Something dramatic was going to happen that day. Because Haggai says, from this day on, I will bless you. I don't know why God waited three months. To me, it's like, hey, they got started. Why didn't you bless them right away? I think sometimes God just kind of going like, let's see if this actually pans out. Let's see if they're serious about this new thing, you know? Yeah, he's, he's all fired up about evangelism. Let's just see if that actually, you know, takes root and actually moves forward. Let's see if these folks at Eastgate Alliance Church actually start evangelizing people or if they just go, yeah, pastor, that was a great sermon. I loved it. It really warmed my heart. You really challenged me. Well, let's see. Let's give it three months. See if they are reaching their neighbors. They are talking to their friends. They are building the house of the Lord. And then let's dramatic. Let's be dramatic about it and say from this day on, I'm going to bless you. And so God comes and he just blatantly says, yep, so far nothing's been happening, but you wait. From this day on, three times, he said, I feel like Haggai, he starts his message from this day on. He can't help because he's got the end message in mind. He's thinking about the last thing he's going to say. 
And the last thing he's going to say is, from this day on, I will bless you. And so he can't help but it. It's, he spits it out twice. And I get that way when I preach sometimes. You know, I, I, I blow the ending of the sermon because I, I, can't, I can't wait to get there, you know. And I kind of feel like Haggai is doing that here. He's just like, from this day on. He says it three times. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we say, well, God hasn't been blessing us, or I'm not sure what's going on. But here's a promise in Haggai. If we would only build his kingdom, he will bless us. Uh, we're, we haven't come to this place just to enjoy one another's company, to be challenged by the word of God. We've come here to accomplish the Great Commission together, to be challenged by one another, to join with one another, to accomplish that Great Commission, to win the lost for our Lord. That's a huge piece of who we are. It's called the Great Commission. Last night we had this this vision school. It's all about the Great Commission. And it was funny because I gave a little introduction to the course, having no idea what the course was about. How do you introduce something you don't know anything about? So I just gave them, you know, my ideas on missions. And of course, the next guy gets up to speak. He says, I don't know how he knew all what I was about to say. <laughs> I said exactly what he was going to say. Because God's voice is the same. God's voice says, I care about the lost sheep. I want them in my kingdom. And they're valuable to me, so I'm sending you. I'm sending you to go and build my house. And what's interesting about this whole thing that we've been talking about, was God really interested in whether the Israelites were laying down bricks and mortar? I don't think so. God just wanted to know where their heart was. This was one, it showed where their heart was. God was rebuilding his people. That's what this restoration project was all about. It wasn't just the restoration of a temple. This is the restoration of the people of God. God is in the same business today. And so maybe you've been convicted to work a little harder, you know, to do a little more evangelism. Building this temple of... of God with living stones. Maybe you've been convicted about that, but don't make the mistake that you think that this activity will rub off holiness on you. Now, once you start doing evangelism, then, you know, oh, well, now God will accept me and he'll bless me. No, that's not, that would just be falling into the same mistakes of religiosity. Evangelizing, building God's kingdom is not just one more religious thing we add to what we have to do. It's got to start from the heart first. It's got to start from, I am passionate about you and your works, Lord. I want your thing, your kingdom to come, to seek your kingdom first. It's about obedience. Remember when uh, King Saul sacrificed uh, uh, because his men were scattering. And and, um, the prophet comes to him and says, what are you doing? Why didn't you wait? And the king says, well, my men were scattering, so I, I, I want to offer a sacrifice to God to get his blessing. <laughs> and what did Samuel say? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Don't do the religious thing. Do the obedient thing. Get your heart in the right attitude towards God. And then God will bless. <clears throat> so
Now, some of, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, don't we have all the blessings of Christ in God already? Aren't, aren't we, you know, like, we, didn't, we went through Ephesians not that long ago. Don't we just, you know, we're daughters and, and sons of the King. Don't we automatically get all those blessings? Yes and no. Okay, yes, it is automatic. But that verse, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man reapeth, that also will he, or whatsoever man sow, that also will he reap. That's in the New Testament, okay? It's not like God just goes like, no, the way you live doesn't matter anymore. He wants to bless us, absolutely. And we do, we are blessed in the heavenly realms. And God just wants to drive a truckload of blessing up to your house and dump it there. He really does. But he's hindered when our hearts are not with him. Then he's hindered. He's like, ah, this isn't working. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? He's waiting. He wants to bless us. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change with the shifting shadows. God wants to bless you. God wants to give you a huge harvest. You know that, that um, <clears throat> you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. This whole... Um, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever he sows to please the flesh, from the flesh he will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not be wearying well-doing, for at the proper time, what? We will reap a harvest. If you're sowing bad stuff, no. If you're sowing the good. You're sowing to reap, to please the Spirit. You will reap a harvest. This is what it's all about. God is calling us to be obedient. God is calling us because He wants to bless us. And when we don't, when we're not blessed, it's most likely because He's like, "Come on, get with the program," you know. And He wants to, but He's just like, "No," you know. And sometimes my kids do that. You know, they they want a blessing. They want me to to pay for something, but you know they. They haven't done the homework or, you know, they, they want me to just just ask God to, to help me do really well on this test. Well, did you study? No, just ask God to bless my test. I'm like, eh, I don't think that's going to work. Actually, my kids study really hard and they always answer, yeah, I've studied. So, uh, but I want to read something from a contemporary of Malachi. And he says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be enough room to store it all. And I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it ripens, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will take note and they'll look at you and call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. How many people have looked at your life and said, 
how come everything goes so well with you? Well, then you'll, you'll give them the answer by telling them the gospel, <laughs> right? That's the answer. It's because you're about the kingdom's business. You're about Christ's business in this world, and God just blesses you. Um, I mean, hey, where'd the slide, where'd the video go? Keep rolling, keep rolling. <laughs> now you've got to fast forward it to somewhere in the middle. Um, but this, this floodgates of heaven opening up to pour out a blessing, think about it. Malachi is talking about tithing in church, giving, you know, giving an offering. And God says, I'm going to pour out such a blessing on you, you can never contain it. Can you imagine if we move from giving a tithe to God to working for his kingdom with all our heart, to taking the message of the gospel to the lost, that flood, that's just going to open the floodgates of heaven like a torrent. It's going to blast us away. It's going to make, we're not going to be able to contain what God wants to pour out upon us. It's going to, you know, you know, it's the weirdest thing. All summer, I was working on this cottage I'm building. But you know what? Since I stopped working on it and started working for God, more has gotten done on the cottage than the whole summer. It's like, well, someone came to my rescue. But it's, it's like God just decided, okay, you're back to work. Now I'm going to bless you. It's like, what is going on? God, God loves it when we are about his kingdom business. When we have a passion for the things of God, God just wants to bless us. And he does. So, one of the things that God calls us to do before we get busy at building his house and going out and reaching Jerusalem and Judea and, and Samaria until the ends of the earth, one of the things he says for us to do is what? Wait. Wait till you're clothed with power from on high. So you know what? You might be going like, oh, that seems like an impossible task to, to reach the lost. And, and I know Pastor Bill is preaching these passage, pass, passionate messages about you know, reaching my neighbor, but man, I've tried it. And it doesn't work. Well, have you tried it with the power of the Holy Spirit? Because <laughs> let me tell you, it works when you're filled with the Spirit. And so I'm just going to close with a request from God. And, 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 but, but something on our part too, an offering of our lives to God. Because that's the very first thing we need to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit is offer God our lives. To just say, okay, I give up. I, I, don't, I, don't, I give up trying to do things my own way. You know, I had to do that this summer in the middle, middle of this building program. Just, uh, ah, I give up. I'm not going to, you know, I, I can't fight God. And, and God wants us to do that and say, yeah, I'm not as righteous as I ought to be. I'm not as holy as I ought to be. I'm not, I don't have my priorities right the way they should be. I'm not seeking first God's kingdom and my kingdom second. I got all this stuff backwards. But I want to offer my life to God so that he can rearrange that. And I want to ask him to give me the power to not only change that, but to go and out and be his witness, to be his 
witness in Jerusalem and Judea, in my neighborhood and in Ottawa and in Canada and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I need, I need your power, Lord. So let's just pause for a moment now and just do that before God, okay? And I'll let you just start on that pathway in, on your own and then I'll just pick it up and, uh, and we'll do it together. Lord, I confess that my kingdom has loomed large in my own eyes. And I wanted to passionately pursue my little kingdom and build wealth and build a nice family and do all these things. But Lord, I was neglecting your kingdom. And so I confess that you haven't been the number one priority in my life. You haven't been the focal point of who I am. And so, Lord, I confess this sin of mine, and I ask that you would cleanse it and wash it away. And I would ask that you would receive me once again as your student, as your disciple, as your diligent follower, Lord Jesus. I want to follow you, and I dedicate my whole life to you to follow wherever you would lead. And Lord, I know that this is an impossible task. And so I ask, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit afresh in me. That you would take this willing vessel and use it as you will. Fill my mouth with messages from you, Lord Jesus. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. I give it to you, Lord Jesus. Take my family, my yearnings, my longings, Lord, I give it all to you. And ask, Lord, that you would change my heart to be on your kingdom message. Lord, fill me with love for people. Fill me with passion for people. Lord, my neighbors, Lord, fill me with love for them. Lord, help me to find ways. Lord, I pray that you would open doors to be able to share my faith with my my friends. Lord, I pray that you would raise up an army in this church. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.